this stressor that happened over here could be part of the reason they sort of come to the conclusion that, oh, something's actually caused me to feel this way. And then when they sort of reach that conclusion on their own, that's when you can gently introduce the idea that, okay, maybe it's more than just physical. Maybe there's something happening inside of you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest podcast on planet Earth, bar none. And now we are also the smartest podcast on Earth. I mean, it was a hard race. We had to be... Uh, was it really a hard race? I mean, Einstein was there. He was a bit trash. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Who else was Just because he got more years on us, that's the only thing. But yeah, but he's trash, so he is. we got him. Long story short, <laughs> we are officially, according to Dr. Helen, we are the smartest and best looking uh, podcast hosts on the planet so it was a hard race but we finally got there and you know what the crazy thing about it is that i'm hardly surprised like yeah, especially the best looking host like that was yeah. kind of a no-brainer no brainer. not many people do podcasts and show their videos so you got radio face yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i bet so now we have a special guest now, we're going to take it back a little bit. You know, we joke a lot on this show and we do give a little bit of uh, insight and relatable stuff. Mm. But today we want to be a little bit more, like show a little bit more of our scientific side, a little yeah. bit more so people can understand it from a theoretical and a little bit more of an educational perspective mm. uh, rather than all just um, conceptual. So we've got a very special guest that's going to help us with that and really shine some light on mental health, specifically anxiety and depression and whatever comes from that. The, the one and only Dr. Helen, how you going? Hey guys, hi. We don't have our, we don't have our sound effects today, so we're going to Yeah, so we're clapping. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, guys, I just know what it is. You guys, yeah, best looking, grandiose much. Best. <laughs> oh, grandiose. <laughs> yeah. grandiose yeah. if it's facts. Yeah. 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 grandiose if it's facts. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to tell them the truth. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. You just got to tell them the truth. <laughs> What is going on, Helen? Hi, guys. Dr. Helen. Dr. Helen. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? How's the day been? You know what? It's been good. I'm here. Yeah. I'm alive. Can't complain. So Exactly. It's always yeah. a blessing. So you are a doctor, a medical doctor. Yes, I am. At, at a practice, mm-hmm. at a local practice. We went to them where, because mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. Confidentiality. In case, in case this know. podcast goes left. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be liable. You're like, oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. I didn't say that. There's a lot of Dr. Helen. There's That's a lot of true. Dr. Helen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're a medical doctor how long have you been doing that for and like where are you at what's the what's the kind of story okay so um i graduated back in 2013 and um essentially just been working on my career since then um i am fully qualified as a general practitioner so i belong to the fellowship of the royal australian college of general practice that's just how it is you know? <laughs> i mean if you if you're not going to beat yourself up who else is exactly. uh, may as well say, and that's what it is so yeah, yeah. yeah so i am fully qualified as a general practitioner awesome. um and you know i've just got a little bit of things that i'm interested in as a general practice as the general practitioner that you know i look into so child health diabetes and mental health those are my my three big things and women's health as well 
So awesome. Yeah. And what's made mass mental health such a passion? Because it's probably what, what we see in the in the medical setting and what I see when I go to GPs is that I don't really see a lot of GPs that are quite specialized when it comes to mental health. There's only mm-hmm. a fair few. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that it's increasing, which means that we're obviously on the right track and the right Absolutely. path, but it's not too much. So what makes you passionate about mental health? Um, I think the fact that it's not spoken about, particularly yeah. in my community. So, mm. I mean, I'm of Ghanaian origin um, and just being African in general, having African heritage, it's not something that we talk about. Yeah. Um, and then as I've gone on in my practice, seeing how much you can change a person or help a person by listening to them and understanding their mental health, it's just so refreshing for me. Yeah. Mm. You know, someone will come in for a prescription and you just say, how's your day? And tears, salt water from their yeah. eyes. And you'll be like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And they'll, they'll just tell you things and you'll be like, okay, well, like this is the tip of the iceberg. I have the capacity now to get them help so that they can, you know, feel better as a person, both physically and mentally. And I, I think that that's a blessing. So that's where the passion essentially comes from. Yeah. So you've been saying that there's been a massive influx of like people with mental health issues coming in because you had a GP, so you get mm-hmm. everybody from broken arms to everything. You know, everything. Mm-hmm. So you've been saying there's an influx of people coming in with mental health. And, well, let me start with the first question. Why do you think that is? Do you think it has any correlation with the whole COVID thing, with isolation, or has it just been, you think it's just COVID, people in general? COVID's made it worse. It's definitely made it worse. I have been fortunate enough to be off from work during the main part of the COVID um, sort of pandemic. So I haven't really had to deal with it as much. But prior to COVID, it was just any anybody coming through. And I think because we speak about it more in the media, um, people are hearing about it and they're kind of like, oh, do I have a problem? Is there something? Mm-hmm. They're now coming to have a chat. And there are some people who are very well versed with their mental health because they've had parents that have mental health issues and grandparents that have had mental health issues. And because those words have been used in their family, they're not afraid to talk about it. And then there are other people who just come in and say, I'm tired. And then it's up to you as a GP to kind of dig into what does that tired mean? And you go down the path and find out, okay, there are some mental health issues happening here. So we need to address it and go from there. So sometimes it's hidden, sometimes it's not. Yeah. And how does a typical presentation when you realize that somebody's like not coming in saying I'm mentally unwell because most people wouldn't be able to have that insight so what is it what are you looking for when you're saying like okay this person might need a little bit of help uh normally uh what I have is people coming in saying that they're tired literally I am tired I wanted to get a checkup to see whether my bloods are okay rah 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 but generally I'm tired. And you ask some questions. Okay, tell me about your day. What do you do? And we're really busy as a society right now. You know, you've got to go to work. You've got to pick up kids. You've got to do this and that. So people are generally tired. Um, And then you find out I'm not sleeping and uh, my eating patterns are off. And, you know, I don't like going to work. And you slowly unpack it and you're just like, oh, okay, so something traumatic has happened to you somewhere in the realm of your, your life and you're responding to it, but you don't even recognize that you're responding to it or you don't recognize that these symptoms are a product of what you're going through. So, you know, often people don't know that they're coming in for mental health. Often they just think I'm coming in because I am having trouble with fatigue. Mm. 
And I'm, and I'm interested to hear, so what's kind of your, what is the reaction and response that you get from your, your patients when they come in? They're like, oh, I think this is mental health correlated because as we know, there's a lot of, there's a big stigma when it comes to mental health. People kind of shy away. They get scared when you say that it's something related to their, their mental health or it's potentially a mental illness where there's a lot of physical symptoms that a lot of people think like, oh, it can't be related to my mental health. It's physical. Um, how do, what is the reaction that you get off the back of that? Um, I guess it's about how you have the conversation to begin with. Mm. Often um, you can sort of guide them to that conclusion on their own. So, you know, they'll tell you, you know, I'm not sleeping and I'm not doing this. And you'll be like, oh, do you think it could be because of this? Or do you think that this stressor that happened over here could be part of the reason? They sort of come to the conclusion that, oh, something's actually caused me to feel this way and then when they sort of reach that conclusion on their own that's when you can gently introduce the idea that okay maybe it's more than just physical maybe there's something happening inside of you and just like if you and I say to patients all the time if you broke your arm and you needed your arm to go to work I'm happy to give you a medical certificate and give you all the things that you need to get that fixed but if you've got a broken mind and you're still trying to function in the world, Mm -hmm. you're not gonna be achieving the goals that you're normally meant to be achieving. So Mm -hmm. if that's broken, you need to talk to me so that I can find a way to help you fix it, put you on the path to help you fix it. So just nudging them and putting it in a way that they can understand like having a broken mind is like having a broken toe. It's equally as important to think about your mental health as it is about your physical health. That's when people are just like, oh, I didn't realize that I could come to you to talk about this. I didn't realize I could get help from you because of this. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. I think it's like our whole mission has been trying to be able to destigmatize mental health because that's where it all comes down to. It's like nobody wants to hear, oh, shit, I've got a broken mind. In terms of like the you know, public perception, the severity of a broken mind compared to a broken toe is incomparable, right? So it's like how, what do you think is one of the steps that we should take to be able to make the community a little bit more uh, willing to engage or to have a conversation? Most people don't know that you can get a mental health care plan. You know, you get five psychology psychology sessions. Like, no, most people don't know that. But what do we think that we should do to make it more front of mind? It's... You know, it's it's not an easy, it's a very complex question that you're asking. Mm. It's very loaded. And I think that part of it is language okay. uh, and understanding that different people are acclimatised to different things. Take, for instance, us being African. If um, somebody said, you know what, uh, I fear snakes. Yeah. Okay. Auntie's like, I fear snakes. You're like, Auntie, Why? You know, back home there was, you know, a witch and, you know, the snake is demonic, blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't flinch because that's technically something that we talk about in our community. Now, yeah. if she were to say that to somebody else, exactly. she would seem like she's psychotic <clears throat> exactly. and they'll be like, what are you talking about? Change the language and go, I have a phobia of snakes. Oh, why do you have a phobia of snakes? Or when I was young back then, this happened X, Y, Z, the person will be like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So sometimes yeah. it's not even a matter of, the fact that people are not receptive to getting their mental health sorted. It's it's the language that we use that they're not comfortable with that makes them go, I don't want to associate with it. When you hear the word mental, what, what comes to your mind? Yeah, you mm. think of asylums. I think people quintessentially think about asylums. Like nobody wants to be locked up 
straight jacket like exactly if you're mental there's just such a stigma huge and the word mental was used as a derogatory term exactly oh you're mental like that's that's what people have heard so people are not looking at the oxford dictionary classification of mental you know they're not looking at that they're looking at the fact that this is essentially a negative word and it's associated with negative things to do with the mind so if you're telling me i have a mental health disorder you're saying that there's something negative with my mind saying that at all exactly you know i'm not saying that at all i'm saying that you've gone through something that thing has caused a cascade of events in your life that has taught you to handle them in a particular way and that way may not be the most beneficial for you let's find a way for you to cope with it better yeah that's so right and it's what we always talk about as well because i think that obviously we've been brought up in a society where we're too busy like labeling things and when we start having associations with things whether this is negative this is positive then the reaction is quite obvious. So like I've seen this as a negative thing, like you were saying, but with mental health. So obviously I don't want to affiliate with that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. When people are asking, like when you're applying for jobs, is there any mental health illness? Of course, people are going to be like, oh, nah, because there's a negative association with that. And we always say like, things are not good or bad. It's not negative or positive. It just is. And I think that when we have that kind of grounded approach with that and we take it like that, I think that's, I guess it's not the, the core solution, but it's going to take us in a, a step in the right direction for where we're trying to go. But what I want to ask you now is that I want to take it to like a more of like some of the common, you know, medical mental health conditions that we see, what's very prevalent in our society right now. And we actually launched a course about stress and helping people alleviate the stress. And some of the common things we're seeing is people suffering with anxiety, people suffering with depression, and people going through some tra- complex traumas that they're not able to kind of unravel and understand. So I want to kind of start off by talking about anxiety, because I think that's a lot more open in these um, these days. What, what, how important is it for people to, to recognize the early symptoms of anxiety to when it's coming to something that's quite clinical and they need to get um, assistance with? And what is anxiety? Yeah, yeah. so that's um, really important to cover. So anxiety is essentially excessive worrying. It's almost like you've switched on your fight and flight response permanently. Mm. So I think what everyone needs to understand is anxiety in and of itself is not completely bad. Anxiety or, you know, stress or worry sometimes pushes us to do more. I've got to get an assignment done. Yeah. So I've got to do more. You know, I've got to get to work on time. So, you know, it pushes us into that fight or flight. I've got to get to this thing. Yeah. So, you know, it gives us that adrenaline boost and then we, we keep going. Yeah. It becomes problematic when it's all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it could be as simple as I can't switch my mind off when I go to sleep. I'm trying to sleep and I'm thinking about what I said to this person and I should have said it like this, but I didn't say it old. And next time I see them, I might be able to say it like, Mm. and then that talk keeps going on and on. It is as simple as, oh, I might be having a bit of a tremor in my hands or feeling a little bit sweaty. Or I now find that whenever I go into certain situations, I feel I'm well in my stomach. Like I just, I don't feel comfortable. And because they're such subtle things, you often don't, recognize them as being traits of anxiety you you recognize them as being oh well you know that's just normal performance you know that's just how it is but when it gets to the stage where you are now avoiding things because of those feelings that's when you know that it's going too far and anxiety in and of itself is an umbrella term there's so many different types of anxiety you know i'm anxious oh really Really? tell me about that you know generalized anxiety phobias ptsd like they all come under the umbrella of anxiety so it really does depend on what your trigger is yes 
And when you can identify what the trigger is, you can sort of maneuver and figure out a way to say, okay, where are you at on the spectrum of anxiety? How bad is it? Mm. You know, how are you coping? I've had patients who literally can't get out of the car to come and see me because mm. they have fear of being around people. So, so many different levels, so many different stress. So, um, yeah, getting back to um, what you were saying, I've kind of gone off topic, I feel. No, you know, <laughs> yeah, this has been great. Uh, and I think that you, you raise a good point because like people just generalize it. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is normal, right? So then they don't recognize when it's, it's time for me to do something about it. So my question was, how do people, at what point do you reckon people should recognize the, the early symptoms? Or what are some of the common symptoms? I know you were talking about tremors, cold sweats, so those kind of things, um, which people can sometimes categorize as normal, like, oh, this is just normal. Yeah. When do you think people should start taking, like, okay, let's do something? When it's more noticeable. So when it's happening more frequently than not. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's okay if you have to do a presentation and you feel a little bit stressed. You do it and you move on. It's not okay if every single day you are feeling that kind of stress. Yeah. So if every single day you're having an upset stomach, if every single day you're like sweating, if every single day, you, you know, you're having a bit of a tremor. Um, and if it's getting to the place where you are now moving into panic attack, which is essentially hyperventilating, um, feeling like you've got pain in your chest. So a lot of people think that they're having heart attacks when in actual fact they're having a panic attack. When it's getting to a stage where you are afraid of being in public because your symptoms are so bad, you've let it go too far. Yeah, You've let it go too far. And the thing about seeing a, a doctor or your GP, as long as you have a good relationship with them, you don't have to wait until that. You can actually speak to them at any level and say, look, doc, Anytime I go into work, I feel like this. And we can go, okay, let's explore that. Bearing in mind, not all GPs are created equal. We all have different interests and specialties and things like that. So finding someone that you feel like you can converse with is equally as important because if you don't feel like you're being heard, that's way more traumatic yeah. than anything else because I'm coming for help and I don't get listened to. What, what was the point in the first exactly, place of taking exactly. me backwards? So, yeah, I think any time that you're feeling a bit uneasy, you've, you have every right to come up to your healthcare provider and say, look, don't know what it is, T talk me through it. Yeah. yeah. I think that what you said is really like nailed down to trauma, right? And I think that people don't recognise what trauma looks like in their life or even sometimes they don't even know how much the impact this traumatic event has actually had on them. So it's more like... When you're, when you're trying to tell people how to unpack this traumatic event or identify trauma in general, because there's so many people that you have that like, until you have those kind of conversations, they don't even remember being raped. They don't remember significant traumatic events that's having a long lasting impact on their life. But you know, the brain's really, really intelligent and it'll keep you safe. So it, it will block that memory. So how do you help people unravel that trauma? And do you help them unravel that trauma? Or would you suggest them going into a bit more of a uh, continuity of care approach? Yeah, so um, obviously with trauma and you've put up walls, it takes time to build those walls. So it will take equally as much time to pull them down and understand them. Now, um, I've worked in places where I was a GP in our patient medical mental health so it was important for me to understand mental health and talk to people like that nowadays in a mega clinic or whatever else you've got 10 15 minutes there's no way we're going to be able to unpack all of that um 
I would suggest seeing somebody like a psychologist, but I think it's equally as important to maintain that relationship with your general practitioner because essentially they're also going to be the one that continues your prescription. They're going to, if you decide to go on medication, they're going to continue it for you. They're going to check on your side effects. They're going to change your doses. They're going to add or subtract things because we can do that. Um, so for me personally, I have the initial chat with the patient. I might bring them back in and go, okay, let's do a mental health care plan, which is essentially a piece of paperwork that allows the patient to have subsidised visits to see a psychologist. Um, often it can be quite expensive, which is a number, like one of the reasons why people don't really want to engage. So now that you've got the option of actually getting something subsidised, you come in and we do the plan. And the plan essentially consists of, you know, um, doing a screening tool to see where they're at to start off with, um, writing down what we believe to be the issues so that when you are referring them, you're not just giving a blank canvas to a psychologist and say, yeah, deal yeah, with it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Patient sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I mean it really does come down to the interest of the GP um, and how open the patient is also willing to be. You've got to understand that. It's not easy to come and speak to a complete stranger about something that's hurt you. Yeah. It's not easy to do that. So you coming, taking the first step to even come in and say, I need help, is traumatic for people enough, yeah. you know, to then have to unpack that. Um, it, it takes time. And I, I tell patients, it's going to take time. Like, we're going to be friends for some time. Yeah. <laughs> and do you ever tell people to unpack it themselves or help, like, tips to be able to unpack it themselves? Uh, look, I'm an advocate for self-reflection, meditation and things like that. And there are resources like um, the Black Dog Institute has a lot of resources on there for people to use. And then also assessing people's health literacy and interest in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's really easy to say, well, you should go and do this. And that person just sit there and go, I don't even know where to begin. Or I'm not a writer. Okay, cool. So maybe you're into technology a bit more. Maybe we can find something on your phone that will be helpful for you. So really trying to understand where that patient is at with their understanding of what they're willing to do. Some people just aren't willing to do that. They need to be guided by others and that's perfectly fine. It's fine. Yeah. I want to talk about, you were mentioning it when you were talking about the, um, the previous thing about medications and, you know, prescriptions. And I think that's a, it's a very interesting one because a lot of people have different kind of views when we're talking about pharmaceutical it's either like we understand that it's beneficial and they need it um but then at points people start to develop a reliance towards it like i can't cope without you know taking these medications and then they neglect the non-pharmaceutical approaches that are needed that i really got to help them manage it effectively coupled with the medication so first i want to talk about when people before because i spent i just said a whole heap of stuff when people um <laughs> when people talk about yes you did what do i say <laughs> <laughs> Land. Land. <laughs> yeah, no, no, land. <laughs> That's it. I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Um, so what what is your viewpoint firstly when you're prescribing medications for mental health people or people that are suffering with anxiety? What's the what do you tell them firstly? I give them the option because they are essentially the orchestrator of their own path. So I say to them, what do you want? 
we can do it in so many different ways because there's not one way of managing mental health. Mm. So look, if you don't want to be on medication, I'm more than happy to help you with that. It does mean that we're going to be meeting more regularly so I can check and see how you're going. We're going to be talking. I want you to do these particular exercises and then I want you to come and debrief with me and then I want you to go and see a psychologist and depending on the severity of your mental health, go and see a psychiatrist. That's one way of doing it. In other instances where, you know, especially when they're having physical ramifications of depression and anxiety to the extent of I'm not getting out of bed, I'm feeling this particular way, do you want something to help you? And I put an end date on it. We are only going to be using this medication for X amount of months. If you are doing okay, we'll wean you off and get you off of it. If you're not, then we'll keep you on it. You need to sort of give people a chance to understand that it's not permanent. Mm. I think people are really scared of the idea of if you put me on medications, I'm going to be on them for the rest of my life. It's not the truth. Sometimes you are going through a transitional phase and you need something to help you get over that bridge. Mm. Sometimes it is something that is more permanent, um, especially if you have things that are affiliated with psychosis, like your schizophrenia, your bipolar disorders mm. and things like that. It's not easy to just go, well, see you later, meds, because yeah, yeah. you're essentially putting people in danger. But for people who are going through different forms of depression and anxiety, depending on the severity of it, will depend on the way that we're going to manage it. But essentially it's what do you want me to do to help you? Tell me, mm. let's let's work on it together. And I think that when you say to a patient, we're working together, as opposed to I'm telling you what you need to do, mm. it changes the dynamic and the relationship and they are more open to what you suggest and makes them less fearful. Yeah, that's interesting. So let's say if you have somebody, because I'm just putting myself in the shoes if I was that person, right? I've got pretty poor insight. I've just come in to, the, to see you because I'm tired and now I need medication. Like most times they're going to be like, Nah, but if their if their symptoms are they're tired, they're not getting out of bed, it's not allowing them to go to work because they think that they're tired. These are all symptoms of anxiety and depression, right? So they're not getting not going to bed. They're now you know about to get evicted of their house. They've got all of these issues, right? And it's got to this stage. Do you are you worried about people's insight to be able to make those decisions? Oh, absolutely. And I mean that's part of the assessment that you have to make when you are seeing a patient. What is their level of insight? Um, and understand that mental health doesn't just affect the one person, it affects people around them. So often recruiting family members, like, okay, hey, look, I think that you're struggling. Is there anybody that you're close with, like a partner or anything? Do you want to bring them in next time so that we can have a discussion? Because you can't watch that patient once they leave your room. Exactly. Yeah. So if you involve the people around them, not only are they a lot more grateful, but you actually give them the tools to know what to do if this person goes over the edge or like what are the resources, what are the emergency contact numbers, all of those sorts of things. You cannot force someone to take medication. End of story. If Mm. they say they're not going to take it, well, they're not going to take it. I can give you a prescription to hold on to. If you don't want to take it, that's up to you. But let's create a, a channel to continue discussion. Let's create a way so that if things do go wrong, you know what to do, you know who to call. Let's bring somebody in that you trust so that if they recognize that you're not doing okay because you don't have the insight, when they tell you, you can believe it. Who am I? I'm a stranger. Mm -hmm. I don't know you from a grain of salt. So 
if I say you need to do something, of course you're going to be like, who are you? But if you've got somebody that you do trust and care about and you want to bring them into your healing process, bring them in. I'll give them the tools that they need to look out for you as well. What are your views on medication? Um, my views on medication is um, it's beneficial where necessary. I don't think everybody needs to be on medications. I think that depending on person's trauma, depending on the severity of things, will depend on whether they really do or don't need it. I mean, I've been in situations where people have asked and I've said, look, I'm not quite sure you're at that level yet. Um, I'm more than happy to discuss that further with you. How about we try these tools first? If you still feel like it's not helpful, we can definitely go down that avenue. So no door is ever closed. And it's really just about communication with the patient. They're already vulnerable. You don't mm. want them to feel like I came to you for help and, you know, you didn't listen to me. You didn't, you didn't want to do it my way. So you, you need to navigate between your patient's expectation and your own expectation as a doctor as well. Yeah. So Australia is one of the top leading kind of like prescribers of antidepressants and also we have the most, one of the most high, highest rate of users in, in Australia, right? Do you feel like there's an onus on doctors or GPs or medical like practitioners in terms of the prescription? of Absolutely. And often what you might find is someone got started on something when they were a teenager and they've just been on it since then. And it's not been working for them for the last 10 to 15 years. But because they come in every six months to get a prescription, we're just going to give it to you. Yeah. It's up to us as healthcare professionals to say, why are you on this? What, what was the reason why you started this in the first place? Is it helping you? Because a lot of the time it's not. A lot of the time people have been taking it for so long, it's plateaued and it's not doing anything yeah. and because a person has now become attached to the idea of it not even an addiction but attached to the idea yeah. that if i don't take it something bad might happen yeah. they're now fearful of stopping that medication you now need to give them yeah, the education the, the, necessary to say yeah <laughs> you've got another anxiety because of this medication so you now need to give them the education to say okay if you don't need it, you don't need to be taking it let's get you off of it safely because it's not good to stop things you know, straight up. So what I want to talk about now is that the importance of other people's involvement in supporting people with mental health. I think that that's like the most important thing when it comes to people to be effectively able to manage their care plan. But like you said, people don't know how to support. They don't know how to respond. They don't know how to react. It becomes a bit of an uncomfortable position. So what do you think people's role are when it comes to helping people with mental health and supporting people? Um, first and foremost, education is key. Mm -hmm. So having the appropriate resources to read and try and understand where that person is coming from, often there's a misunderstanding when it comes to mental health. So you're like, oh, that person's just being lazy. No, it's actually part of the mental illness. Yeah. So them getting educated so that they can understand so that when they see traits, they're not afraid of them or angry at them will change the dynamic within the household. So that's yeah. one thing. Um, knowing your limitations. Um Sometimes we want to be the hero. Sometimes we just want to be the saviour. We don't want our, the person that we love to be hurt. And sometimes it's just not within your power to help. Mm -hmm. And you need to let go of that and call somebody to come in and take over because it's very likely that you can get carer burnout. You mm -hmm. can you yeah. can get your own mental illness from taking care of somebody exactly. else's mental exactly. illness. Yeah, yeah. 
and you need to be able to take care of yourself and you also need to be able to separate yourself from it as well. So allowing the person that's caring to know that it's okay if you have a bad day and say, I don't want to deal with it today. You can take a step away. You need to take a step away. Otherwise, you're not helpful to them at all. Um, so I think those are probably the big things. Having the resources, knowing when to say no, and taking a break yeah. is very, very big. Yeah. What do you think about those complex scenarios where, like, you're suffering with, like, the person suffering with a mental illness and their support networks, like their families and their, like, their children also suffer with a mental illness? Like, what, what do people actually do? Because I was speaking to a client before that was overwhelmed, got their own mental illness. They got um, kids that suffer from de de developmental delay um, and all those kind of things. So it's like, how do, how do they cope? Because you get to a point where you feel like, well, I'm responsible for everything, but I kind of have to look after myself. How do people adjust? How do, what do you recommend people do in those scenarios? Come in as a family and we can get everybody sorted out. Like, it, I mean, it's not going to be sorted out in a, one mm. session, but if everyone has specific needs, then everyone need, has needs need to be addressed accordingly. Mm. Um, and you may be standing here saying, I need to take care of this person. But if you're drowning, you're just taking somebody down with you. You're, you're caught mm. in the rip. Yeah, You know, you're like swinging your hands up and then you're just pulling somebody in. You don't want that to be the scenario. So um, at least saying to the person it's okay to take care of your mental illness or take care of your health. Let's Sometimes the, the term mental illness makes people feel a bit ostracized. It's okay to take care of your health. So if that means that we focus on getting you sorted in this area, it means that you'll be better to able to handle this particular situation. Let's get your children sorted out. That takes the burden off of you as a parent. Mm -hmm. Let's get your grandparents sorted out. That takes, you know, when you are sorting out everybody, like you've got to look at each and everyone as an individual because this person's being traumatized by this, that person's being traumatized yeah. by that, that person's being traumatized by this, and you've just got a whole bunch of traumatized people who aren't actually taking care of each other. They're just traumatizing one another. Yeah. You need to take care of each and every one of them individually. Yeah. And I think some of the big fears that I see speaking with women directly and they've got children is that they feel like if I've got a mental illness and I'm coming to a health practitioner saying I'm, I can't cope, then they're fearful that someone's going to come take their kids away because I'm like, I don't have the capacity to look after their kids. Is that... To, is that true? And for people that are in that situation, like, is there, they have a right to feel that kind of fear? Or? Uh, I think that people in that situation have every right to feel that kind of fear. Their fear, fears are normally founded or rooted in something that's real. It's just how that fear has manifested that's problematic. Um, if you're not coping, that's okay. It doesn't mean that we're going to be calling docs immediately and being like, oh, they're not coping, get those children away. Because technically speaking, we really like to keep children with their families. Yeah. Taking children away traumatizes the children. Now you've got another person in the system. You don't want that. Mm. So you look for tools and resources that help the parent to cope with the child, whether it means getting a social worker involved, whether it means, you know, getting a case manager involved so that you've got people that are in your environment that can help you without taking you away from your kids. So it's not a matter of, yeah, if I tell the doctor what's happening with me, I'm going to lose my kids. No, no, it shouldn't. It's, it's not like that and shouldn't be like that. I agree. I think that's a massive issue for a lot of people. There's a lot of deterrence for people wanting to get their mental health because it's just even from a systemic uh, level, there's so many like there's so many things that do not favor you if you have mental health issues yeah. or you're not fit to work 
oh, you're not fit to do this. You're not fit to do that. You're not fit to do this. And it's like, and they don't even take, like you've been functioning for so long, but as soon as you have that, you put that black mark on it, you're seen as just a completely different animal. So I want to ask you something that's a little bit off what we're talking about now, but still very relevant. We spoke about it earlier, about people's coping mechanisms. I think everybody copes. Everybody copes the best way that they can, you know, but it's just, some of them are just not healthy. You might be smoking, toxic relationships, alcohol, it's all your way. It's all your your brain's way of coping. How do we establish sound coping strategies, and what are some sound coping strategies? Good, loaded question. Love it. Um, sound coping um, strategies. So obviously, um, I had a South African supervisor once who said, "You don't want to." Um, substitute the witch with the bitch mm. which essentially <laughs> is you don't want to take use one problem to cater to another exactly. problem yeah. so um i guess good coping mechanisms is like you know having exercise you know meditating mm. uh finding things that sort of stop the mind racing like i love listening to audiobooks i just love it I don't have to turn pages or anything like it, but if I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm thinking too much, listening to a good trashy novel just takes me away from having to overthink things. Mm. So I think it's about finding a hobby that's good for you, but also making sure that it doesn't overtake things. So like, okay, yeah, I like exercising. Now I'm exercising seven days a week. I'm not eating properly and now I've got an eating disorder. Whoop, there it is. Now you've reversed the witch with the bitch. Mm -hmm. So you there needs to be clear lines in the sand that you're not overdoing it as well. Um, coping mechanisms could just be I'm going to go out with my friends and we're going to have a dinner. Normally it's taking yourself out of the environment that's causing you the trauma and the stress that will give you the most relief, you know. So if it's stress at home, staying at home may not be the best thing in your interest. You might need to go for a drive, you know, you might need to go for a walk. Sometimes you just need to remove yourself from the offending issue for a period of time to cope and People's coping mechanisms are all going to be different, whether it's artistic, whether it's physical, whatever it is. But so long as it's legal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Disclaimer. Disclaimer. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, yeah, everyone's different. So there's no not one specific answer. There's not one way of coping. Yeah, I love that. I think that's very true. It's very accurate. So if you could give us one piece of like, one observation, one piece of advice, one observation, one kind of general bit of wisdom about people that want to engage with mental health services or, you know, want to talk to their GP, but something that not many people know, what would you say? Uh, just start talking. I think the biggest roadblock with mental health is that we don't talk. Yeah. Um, just start talking. Uh, whether it... You, if you don't have all the resources, that's okay. If you've got good friends, talk to them. Mm. They may be able to lead you in the right direction. If you've got a great doctor to talk to, talk to them. But start talking because a lot of the anguish that you're going through is because you've kept it in or you've been holding on to something for so long. You don't even know what it is anymore. And you just need to get it out there. And even if you talk to somebody who's not a professional and they're able to go, hang on a second, I, I see that you've got a problem here and they're able to shine a light on you for you to recognise that, oh, okay, I didn't realise that this was actually 
an issue, mm. it's because you've had a conversation. So just start talking. Amazing. And I want to ask a final question. How important is it for people that aren't suffering clinically with mental health to be proactive with their mental health and putting some steps and do things to ensure that, you know, they maintain relatively healthy with their mental health? It's incredibly important. Look, your mind is like any other part of your body. If you don't exercise it, if you don't treat it right, it will malfunction on you um, and it may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, but when it does happen and things go to shit, <laughs> to, to say it kindly, um, <laughs> um, you're worse for wear. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're not going to work with your broken toe every single day and then expect it to heal. Yeah. Same with your mental illness or your mental health. You're not going to be able to cope with a stressor for a long period of time and be okay. You need to get it sorted as soon as you can. And if you don't know how to speak to somebody and try and find out, and there's so many resources online, you can literally Google mental health or depression or anxiety. I don't normally recommend Dr. Google, but the fact of the matter is we live in a day and age where you have access to information. Yeah. So access the information, find out, and then get the direction that you need. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, sick. I think this has been like amazing. Like we've yeah. covered so much and I think it's been so valuable for the guys that are listening, especially coming from like a doctor, exactly. you know, someone that's dealing and facing it front on. And so like someone can, people can look at that and be like, you know what, like it's right. Like you're going to be, you guys are like stayed at the forefront of helping people to be able to manage their mental health and remove the stigma, make people feel safe about coming to approach health professionals. So I really enjoyed this and i just want to thank you for coming i think that's amazing thanks, guys thanks me for too. having me clap, 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 but we're not finished yet clap, obviously duh. because we've spoken a lot about oh, oh yeah that's right that's right um <laughs> <laughs> you already introduced no, me i know but i didn't think you were showing it to me because uh, you, know, you never do yeah, i don't I <laughs> exactly so i, I thought like some like reaction was wild like what nah. do you mean so, you, like, you know what it, it is for, for, <laughs> He's my PA. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Nick's just been dumb. <laughs> Go on, Nick, finish. Um, <laughs> so obviously how we always like to finish every podcast with the guests is with a quick rapid fire. We've spoken a lot about mental health, but we haven't spoken a lot about getting to know you. Mm. So, oh, hi, guys. <laughs> so we're going to ask you five quick questions. Mm -hmm. Short, sweet, straight to the point. Mm -hmm. Don't really elaborate on that. Just one word and we'll kick it off. So, first question, what's your favorite movie? Oh, I got three. Or just one. And I said, oh, Lion King. <laughs> Lion King. The original, the original. Okay. Yeah, I like that movie, Banks. Okay. What's your favorite travel destination? Cancun, Mexico. Ooh. Yeah, man. Story after. <laughs> <laughs> what's the most important thing in your life, item-wise? Uh, probably item-wise, my ring. Oh, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Good answer. Thank you. Yeah, I haven't had that one before, actually. Yeah. Your husband would be like, no, like be better be, yeah, yeah better be. <laughs> That's an expensive, expensive gift. It better be. <laughs> um, what's the most attractive quality in someone? Compassion. Mm. And what is your number one tip slash advice for life? Um, if you want to go far, go alone. But no, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with people. Facts. Ooh. Boom. And just like that, that's it, mate. There you go. <laughs> that was sick. Um, uh, cool. So 
That was another episode of the Uncovered Podcast. Oh, you know, I'll let you do the That's outro. right. You already started it. So ah, you can cool. take it. I did it, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this has been another episode of the Uncovered Podcast with Nick and Femi. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellen, for being with us. Thanks for having me, guys. I think people got a lot out of this episode. 100%. Um, do you have any socials that you want people to connect with you on or oh, if they want to talk to you? connect with me on Hellcat, which is my Insta name. Look me up on there and then I'll go from there. Dope. Dope. And you know where to find us, obviously, at Nick and Femi on Instagram and everywhere. And everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. YouTube, um, and soon www.nickandfemi.com. Soon. <laughs> it's, it's, We've been saying that legit since episode two. Honestly. <laughs> we're waiting on Nick, but we're going to get this <laughs> You're going to be doing it. What do you mean? Okay. Okay. Bye, guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming yeah, to this episode. <laughs> Hopefully next time. See you later. This is where it cuts off. So it doesn't matter what Pevy says after this point. It doesn't matter what Pevy says after this point. It's done. It doesn't matter. I'm going to cut it off anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It looks like that by next month.